your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 28. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is the 15th or the 16th week on Wednesday night that we've spoken on the subject of prayer. And uh, uh, probably not have over one or two more, although it would be easy to, uh, to spend another ten weeks or so. We'll see how it works out, but we've spoken about a great many things, as I've said before. We started out the very first message, the message entitled, A Prayer Request from Jesus. We've talked about victory through prayer. Could prayer save America? A house of prayer. Prayer in the early church, the importance of prayer, and on and on and on and on. And last week we had a sort of an unusual uh, message on the subject called Prohibited Prayer. Prohibited Prayer, the times that God says don't. Well, tonight we're going to speak about an abominable prayer. Verse number 28, or verse 9, rather, of chapter 28. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. The more you look at that, the more amazing it really is. It's a serious warning. It's a sad indictment, but it's also actually a common problem. And let me tell you, anything that is called an abomination with God is serious business. It's not something that we can afford to take lightly. And the sad thing is that we live in a day where these things are considered to be acceptable. God says this is an abomination, and we say, ah, it's all right. We accept it anyway. In fact, sometimes we enact, we enact laws promoting it, you see. And to think, though, that, that a person's prayer could be considered an abomination in the sight of God is really an amazing and serious things. So tonight I want us to look at this and, and consider three different things. Number one, the truth, the truth that is declared. It says, even his prayers shall be abomination. And so whenever you think about that and you think about what abomination is, it's something that's filthy, something that's unclean, something that is vile, something that is disgusting in the sight of God. We might refer to it as something that makes God sick, as it were, when He says, I will spew thee out of my mouth, speaking to the Laodiceans and and in other words, what's going on is sickening to God. And so that's what he's talking about here. Well, you would think that these two words, prayer and abomination, would never go together, but, but they do. And it's all the more shocking whenever you consider some of the things that the Bible says are abominations. Now, we're not going to turn to all of these references, and I'm not going to try to mention every abomination that's mentioned in the Bible, but I want to, I want to mention enough things so that you'll get the idea as to the seriousness of this. In Deuteronomy, for example, in chapter 7, verse 25, it speaks about graven images. Now, that's an abomination to God. 
I mean, can you imagine on Sunday morning if I came in and said, Boy, I tell you what, I've been working all week long really getting ready for this service and, uh, and I have, I have carved, I've carved out, uh, an object of worship and I put that up there, you know, and say, Now let's all come by and pay homage to this. After all, I've really worked on it. And I, I think it really looks good. I've taken a few classes in carving, and, uh, you know, I've put a nice oil finish on it. And, well, well, I mean, the church instantly would insist that I be dismissed, and, and, and justifiably so. That's an abomination to God to think that we would do something like that. And then the Bible mentions in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy and other places, it speaks about witchcraft and sorcery. In chapter 22, it speaks about uh, wearing clothes of the opposite sex. And we're not going to get off into all of that because, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about what constitutes being, you know, feminine and masculine. Uh, but I tell you, it's really a serious matter whenever you look over in the New Testament. And a lot of people say, well, that's, that's you know, that's the, uh, that's the Old Testament. When you go to the New Testament, what does Paul say? The infeminate shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff right there. A man that is effeminate and uh, all that that word carries with it, and we're not going to get into that discussion and so forth, and you can figure that out between you and God, but I'm telling you that when a woman wears that that pertaineth to a man, the Bible says that's an abomination in the sight of God. So, you know, do with it what you will. That's, I know somebody's wanting an explanation. I can just feel it in the air, you know. Well, what about, you know, wearing breeches in the, well, I guess that's an old timey word, wearing breeches in the church. Well, you know, I, I've come to the conclusion that one thing's for sure, whatever it is, it, it ought to be modest. Uh, it ought to be modest and, uh, Wow, some of the stuff that we see going on today, and yeah, I, I'm getting sidetracked here, and I apologize. I'm about to shipwreck the whole message, but I I got out on the end of the plank, and it's either jump or uh, or be executed or something, you know. But you know, there have been so many times that people want to blame the preacher. Something will come up, something will happen, and somebody will say, "Boy, you need to do something about that." No, no, I, I, I told you 25 years ago that that if we move away from a certain position and what have you, I told you where it was going to lead. Now it's there. Now you want me to do something about it when you're the one that opened the gate. Now you see what I'm trying to say. And I'll tell you, I have—I don't have a problem with anybody that's modest, and I'm just going to leave it right there. But I'm just telling you what God says, and certainly, certainly, all of us can see some example of the extreme, can we not? I mean, we can—we can think of something that some. Uh, well, let's let's get off of that. Chapter number 6, and I want you to notice the things that are mentioned here. We're talking about things that are abominations to God. Chapter 6, verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto Him. Boy, now this is serious stuff, right? God said He hates it. If God hates something, He hates it. And 
here we go. Now notice what he says. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates that stuff. Now, whenever we consider all of this, and we could go on and talk about the fact that this is a word used in reference to the Antichrist. An abomination. And he says here concerning, concerning these people, even his prayer shall be an abomination. We're talking about prayer, that high and holy exercise of the soul, the powerful weapon by which we defeat Satan. We're talking about the the appointed means of getting what we need as the children of God. And to think about God calling that an abomination just doesn't seem to fit. How could anything so important, so wonderful, be classified as an abomination? Well, let's go back to our text and notice exactly what he says, because here here we see not only the truth being declared, but the transgressor described He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Now we see what the problem is. Now we see why this person's prayer is considered an abomination in the sight of God. It says, He turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Now, understand when he uses the word law, he's not just speaking about the moral law here. In fact, he uses this word, and we could use it in reference to all that God requires. And what God requires is expressed in His Word. In other words, if you want to know God's will, you go to God's Word. So this does not have to do just with those that, you know, somebody that's not not keeping the Ten Commandments, for example. Uh, so when he says law, he's not narrowing it down to that, but it would speak of all of God's words. Someone living in rebellion against God. People that are stubborn and rebellious and, and uh, disobedient, self-willed, and someone like that. He says they turn away their ear from hearing the law. Now, let's be honest. Does that not include most people living in our society today? I mean, just look around and think about all of the people you know, people that you work with, your neighbors, uh, maybe your own family and different ones, and they they know what the Bible says. Someone made an interesting statement this week. Uh, they, in, in speaking in reference and out of concern for their for their family, they they made a statement about a family member that in regards to a certain issue, said, I, I know what the Bible says, but I've got a problem with that. Can you imagine that? There are those that have that attitude. Oh, I know what the Bible says, but I've got a problem with that. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you've got a problem, all right, and your problem is with God. I mean, to, to try to think about sitting in question of God... Uh, that's the the height of audacity to to think that we could judge God, and it's amazing today. By the way, it's not just out there; it's a lot of it in our Baptist churches even today. Those that show no disregard for what God says, because the average person is determined to live as they please. Remember what Paul said. 
you know, in the last days, there'll be lovers of selves, right? Lovers of pleasure, um, uh, rather than lovers of God. And that's the day that we're living in, that we're going to do as we please, regardless of what God thinks about it. And so our biggest problem is not our ignorance, although there's a lot of that. The biggest problem is not ignorance. The biggest problem is we know what God says, but we don't do it. We, we just refuse to obey God. And churches are filled with people that know the truth, but refuse to put it into practice. And the Bible says we are to be what? Doers of the Word. Not hearers only, but we are to be doers of the Word. Now, I know that we, we just went down a list of some of the things that are considered abominations, and we look at that. And, you know, everybody's got their own their own mental checklist as to what's really, really bad. You know, we categorize these sins, and some of them are really, really bad in our eyes. And it's amazing, though, that we always, we always seem to give ourselves an exemption in that. You know, we've always got ours on the, on the category of the small sins. You know, it's, yeah, I, I know, I know it's... Uh, I know it's not right, but after all, you know, I could be doing this or I could be doing that. Well, and, and by the way, people say, well, all sin is sin. It doesn't make any difference. Well, in, in case you never thought about it, there are different degrees of punishment for certain sins. There are certain sins worse than other sins. Now, all it takes is one sin of any kind to disqualify us for heaven, from heaven, Right? I mean, just that's that's all, all it takes to violate the law in any one point. That's all it takes. But there are some sins that are more harmful, more damaging to uh, to society. Uh, there's some sins that just you know involve you and God. There are other sins that involve you and God and affect your family and your coworkers and your classmates and uh, and uh, uh, other people. And we need to be aware of that of the great harm that comes as a result of not listening to God. So we see the tragedy being declared, and the tragedy is that this person's prayer is considered by God to be an abomination. We see the transgressor being described. It's a person that refuses to listen to the Word of God, refuses to obey God. But then I want you to think lastly, and I've got to hurry a bit tonight because the Awana kids are coming over, about the tragedy that's discussed in this. All of us are dependent upon God for the things that we need. No person is self-sufficient. Nobody. I don't care who... You've heard people talk about, well, yeah, he's a self-made man. Uh, Well, if he is, he's not fit for anything. I mean, I know what they mean. I understand that, and you can use that in a good sense, I suppose. But we need more than self-effort. We need God's help. All of us do. So we are dependent upon God. And over and over again, I've emphasized throughout this study that everything depends on prayer. Now, prayer is not the only thing. Understand, if all we do is pray, our prayer is not going to be effective. Uh, in, in fact, it's going to be an abomination. If that was the only thing we ever did was pray, it, our, our very prayer would be an abomination. Uh, for example, just like the fact that the Bible talks about the plowing of the wicked is sin. 
Well, you normally don't think about plowing as sin. I mean, you know, the farmer's got to go out there and break the ground to plant the seed, to have the harvest, to feed the, feed the family. What's sinful about that? Well, uh, it can be sinful when he's living in rebellion against God. And you think about the children of Israel there in the book of Malachi, and here they are, that they've not denied God. You know, they haven't disowned God in any way whatsoever. They have not discontinued their their so-called worship of God. They're going through all of the formalities of it, all of the rituals are in place and what have you. And yet he refers to their singing as noise in his ears. In, in other words, it's something that is offensive to God. And so when we think about when we think about prayer, understand that it's not the only thing. There are other things that we need to do other than pray. But as I've tried to emphasize, regardless of what else we do, if we don't pray, it'll never be enough. We will never be effective. We'll never accomplish what God wants us to accomplish if we don't pray. So everything hinges on this. Now, you just suppose that you suddenly face a crisis in your life. Maybe there are bills due and you don't have a penny to your name. I mean, I've been there, done that. Most of us have been there. You know, the bills are due and, you know, and, and, and you don't have the money. And, and you don't know where you're going to get the money. It, it might be that you're in a situation where your spouse is about to leave and no amount of persuasion can change their mind. That's a horrible position to be in. One of the things that really, I think, shook me to the core was the fact that many years ago before I was saved, Bev, uh, neither, you know, I, I certainly wasn't a Christian, and she had gone to church, and we didn't know it at the time, but she wasn't saved at the time either. And... Uh, I was living in a flop house of a place working out of town for the highway department and and got so I didn't come home on weekends and uh, long story, bad story. And uh, she finally got to the place that she had to move uh, over to her mother's because I wasn't coming home. I had just basically deserted them and so she filed for a divorce. I was living in this little flop house of a hotel uh, uh what a picture. I, I wish you could see the joint I was living in up over the cab company in Rolla, Missouri. And, uh, and the sheriff was trying to serve the papers on me. And uh, for whatever reason, we had two kids at the time, Kathy and Debbie, and I'd lay there at night in that little old cot. That's all of the bed I had, just a little old cot and that little old uh, room and I had that picture of them and I put it up on a, the only piece of furniture in there actually it was a little chest of drawers and I set that up there I'd look at their picture at night and I'd, I'd lay there and cry I didn't want to be what I was I really didn't and uh, and time and time again I had begged her please you know take me back I'll quit drinking you know I'll straighten up I'll I'll be a better person and I meant it, and I tried the very best that I knew how. I really did, but it never worked. It never worked. And I'm so glad that she was patient and stayed with me and came back, dropped the divorce, and uh, came back. And right at that, right about that time, 
somebody invite us to church, and, well, the rest is history. I come to know the Lord as my Savior. That changed everything. But I want you to think about your, I want you to think about your marriage on the rocks and, and you not able to get through to God. And you go to pray, and your prayer is an abomination in the sight of God. Think about being in the waiting room, and they've just, uh, the biopsy is performed, and you're, you're maybe in the waiting room. The doctor has called you back for a consultation, and you're sitting there waiting to get the results. I don't know about you. Boy, I want to be on praying terms with God. Many of you that have been down that road of cancer, and I can look around and, and see many of you that have been there, you've been that very place. And how thankful we ought to be that we can depend upon God in a time like that. Or it might be that your one of your children has been injured. They might even be at the very door of death. And what if, what if you can't get through to God, as it were? What if the heavens are as brass and your prayers are an abomination in the sight of God? What if the church you love is about to split? The nation you love is about to go to war or some loved one is unsaved? And imagine being faced with these terrible tragedies and not being able to get any help from God. The Bible talks about our sin separating us from God. It talks about God withholding good things from us because of our sins. I mean, do you realize what a serious problem you have when your prayers are useless? I mean, and and can you think of anything that relates to your life, you know, that needs to be changed, any issue that needs to be dealt with? Well, sure you can, but... Whenever your prayers are an abomination to God, you leave yourself without any hope whatsoever. These prayers are not only useless, but actually sinful. In other words, by virtue of the very fact that we're living in rebellion against God, and we turn around and we pray to God. Now, maybe maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'll tell you what, there was a time whenever I was way out of God's will, and I prayed, and God heard my prayer even though I was out of His will. Uh, look, there are always exceptions to that. God is a God of grace and mercy, and a lot of times God... God gives us what we need even when we don't ask for it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't ever ask for it, right? But to think about our action of prayer being an abomination in the sight of God ought to shake us to our core. And all of these people that think, you know, God is obligated to rescue me from my problems, you know. And, you know, here they are in a crisis situation And they want God to listen to them, but they don't want to listen to God. They want God to hear, but they refuse to hear what God says. And uh, it doesn't make any difference. Look, if our prayer is an abomination in the sight of God, we can phrase all of the, the prayer in beautiful words. Boy, I've heard some people pray that I... I had a preacher friend in Tennessee... I'm telling you, look, I'm not being critical of him when I say this uh, at all. I'm not accusing him of being hypocritical or or anything. I'm just saying this guy, it it sounds like you'd think Spurgeon was there. 
painting this word picture, and I it's like, you know, wow. Well, let me tell you something. If your prayer is an abomination to God, you can phrase it in a beautiful manner such as that, but it's still something that sickens God. It's still bad, awful, vile, and terrible. And, and you, so you can't make up for it by using beautiful phrases. Or it might be, it might be that we, uh, put an abundance of emotion in our prayer. Boy, I'm telling you what, I've got some dear friends that, boy, when they pray, I mean, they get emotional. I mean, uh, you don't know whether they're praying or whether they're preaching. They're hooping and a hollering and I'm moving around and, and I'm not criticizing them. That, that's fine. If, you know, if that's the way they pray, fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I want to tell you, you can put all of that emotion in it, paint all of the beautiful word pictures you want to, but if God says it's an abomination, then it's useless and it's sinful. Or we can decide, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just pray longer. You, you could you can pray all night long. And it's still not going to get you anywhere if your prayer is an abomination to God. Now, there's several examples I could use, and I, I'm not going to be able to get to that over in Zechariah. There's an example there. But then there's a warning. And turn back to chapter 1 of Proverbs. And I do want to take time to show you this warning that's given to us here in chapter 1. Let's start in verse number 24. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all of my counsel. Now, wait a minute. That's what we've been talking about, right? Those people that refuse to listen to God's law. And here he says, you've said it not all of my counsel and would none of my reproof. Now listen to this. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, notice this, then shall they call upon me. They haven't been, they didn't want anything to do with me, but now they're in trouble. Now they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Isn't that, isn't that a, a great warning and a wonderful promise? And then over in Jeremiah chapter 7, and we're going to close with this, Jeremiah chapter number 7, we see a plea. So have an example there in Zechariah chapter 7, a warning here in Proverbs 1. But I want you to notice this plea in Jeremiah 7:23. But this thing command I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all of the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. As I was thinking about 
the lesson this afternoon. And for some reason, I got to thinking about the danger that people are in when they're living in such a way that God says, your prayer is an abomination to me. And have you ever thought about, you have to think this through, how dangerous church can be? As a young Christian, I wanted to stay as far away as I could from people and places and things that would cause me to be tempted. I didn't want to drive down the same street and that where that bar was where I spent most of my time. I would try to avoid that part of town and stay off of that street. There are certain people I did not want to be around because I knew it was going to subject me to temptation. Uh... But I never thought about the church being a dangerous place. And all of a sudden it dawned on me and I realized, you know that the church just might be the easiest place in the world uh, to sin in. Now think about it. Our worship of God requires that we do whatever we do wholeheartedly, right? We all agree with that. If we don't do it with our whole heart, then God doesn't accept it. It's got to be wholehearted. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be loving. It has to be joyful obedience to the Word of God. God's not satisfied if we just do what's right and uh, with a spirit of dread, you know, or resentment. Uh, we're, we're to obey Him lovingly and joyfully. And so these are the demands that God puts upon us. Now, if we refuse to give God what He demands, then does that not endanger us? Maybe think about it this way. There in 1 Corinthians 11, where they're talking about the Lord's Supper in verse number 30, and the Apostle Paul speaks about those that sleep. In other words, in other words not having the right attitude in our worship could literally endanger us and cost us our very life. I mean, that's exactly what he's talking about there, folks. So many of you are weak and some sickly. Some, some of you are asleep or you're dead. Some, some of the members had died because they partook in a, in a fashion that was unworthily. And they died. Now, if God requires wholehearted, sincere, loving, joyful obedience... And I give him less than that, then God's not going to be pleased with it. Then that means that in some way or another, I'm not saying God's going to kill you, but I'm telling you, you are in, in jeopardy nevertheless in some way. Now I know that might be a strange way of looking at it, but we need to understand that our attitude toward God is a serious matter. And for us to think that we can behave any way that we want to, that we can ignore His Word, that we can disobey His commandments, and then turn around in a time of need and come to God and say, now I've got a problem and, uh, and I expect you to solve it. That's an abomination in the sight of God. So may God help us to live our life in such a way that, that we are on praying terms with God. Amen. Why? Well, because everything depends on it. All right, let's all stand together. Our Father, tonight we thank You for bringing us together again. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You not only for the instruction that it gives, but also for 
the warnings and for the many examples of those who ignored your warnings. And Heavenly Father, we don't want to just be an alarmist just for the sake of sensationalism and try to get people's attention, but Lord, we want to face the reality of the situation. And we know from your word that our our lack of sincerity, our our divided affections, our attitude of rebellion, or whatever it is, whether it's a sin of commission or omission or whatever it is, God help us tonight to realize that affects the most important part of our life. And help us to live in such a way that you would not be forced to consider our very prayers an abomination. We thank you for every person and every family represented here tonight. We pray that you'll bless the young people as they come over and be with those that deal with the children and help them to, uh, to, to show them the way to eternal life. And may we hear the good report of some of them being saved. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.